Glory, glory, Sacramento! Hello and welcome to the 916 Republic podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. This week, we have Jeff Reuter of The Athletic on. Now, Jeff is probably the most well-known lower league soccer reporter in the country. He also uh, covers soccer nationally, uh, like Major League Soccer and uh, just also some other top uh, leagues in the country. Um, And he will also, from time to time, write about the Minnesota United. That is the team that he started writing for uh, back when they were in the NASL, and that's the team that he still uh, covers and, I assume, roots for. You definitely want to pay attention to what Jeff says. He has the inside ear into what is going on around the country with soccer. Yeah, and you know, in this episode, we talk about a lot of things that go that are going on right now, and in kind of the time we're in with the pandemic going on, and we talk to him about when he thinks soccer's going to come back, when he think that when he thinks that's a good idea, um, kind of the the financial states of our our clubs in this nation. Um, it's he's a man that is very close. You can tell he's very close to the the pulse of lower division soccer. In the U.S., so it was a very enlightening interview for me personally. Um, very entertaining, very interesting interview for me, and I think it will be for you as well as a listener. Before I send you into that interview, I want to remind you of our social medias. You can follow us at nine one six Republic on Instagram, at Twitter, on Facebook, and you can find our episodes on YouTube as well. We have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com backslash nine one six Republic. You can support us there financially. That would be great. Uh, a great financial contribution would be $9.16. You know, it's got a little, nice little ring to it. Um, so yeah, make sure to follow us on our, our, our Instagram, our, all of our social medias. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview. All right, and we are on now with uh, Jeff Reuter of The Athletic. Jeff, how's it going? And I'm, am I pronouncing your name right? You are. Yes, you are of the rare select class of podcasts that pronounce yeah. my name right. So, yeah, it's awesome. Well, how's it going, Jeff? Oh, you know, the same. I mean, <laughs> at, at this point, <laughs> everyone's just kind of operating in this sort of static position uh, of uncertainty, but find ways to stay happy. We're healthy on this end. So, yeah, no complaints, I guess. Awesome. And uh, just for reference, where are you located? I'm based out of Minneapolis. So two time zones ahead of you. Yeah. So you've just been staying indoors anyway, because it's but I'm, I imagine it's pretty cold. <laughs> no, it's um, it's uh, 40 degrees today. It was 55, 60 degrees over the weekend. It's it, it's finally truly spring over here. Um, oh, OK. Snow, I think the last of the snow melted two, three weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, and maybe Zach could speak to that because uh, Zach's from Michigan. Yeah. Yep. There you go. You I know. That. I like how he said, you know, it's been better. It's been 40 degrees, which is better. <laughs> I, rem- I remember those days. Those are no, short wearing days right there. Those are short wearing days. Yeah. Those <laughs> are like a light jacket, if even a jacket. No, uh, yeah. sunglasses. Everyone's out for a walk. It's uh, yep. absolutely not like something you would see in Sacramento. No. No, and you smell that no, spring we, in we the would air. be crying. We would be complaining so much <laughs> if it was 40 degrees. Yep. Oh my God. 
Yep. yep. And that is that is uh, winter is far worse, of course. So. Oh, yeah. yes. No, 40 degrees here is like the dead of winter. They don't know. They don't know, Jeff. No, they don't. No, no we haven't. We have no idea. <laughs> um, well, now that we know uh, where you're located, Jeff, why don't you tell us uh, how you started to cover soccer and how you just started writing about soccer? Sure. Um, I mean, I've been following it my whole life. Uh, grew up with it uh, in a soccer family, I guess, if you will. And was a season ticket holder at first for Minnesota United when they were playing in the old North American Soccer League. Um, so I, I was out in the crowd, season ticket holder with my brother. We would go to games and we would just kind of drunkenly banter or whatever in the stands. And then the this, this guy standing next to us leans over and is like, hey, my podcast co-host just quit. It sounds like you know what you're talking about. I need someone who can just be a stopgap fill-in while I find a real podcast co-host. Uh, <laughs> are you able to come on the airwaves? Uh, just for a couple of weeks. Um, so I ended up becoming the, the the real host that he ended up looking for. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was it was really organic from there, just working really hard, putting in the hours. And a website uh, called Northern Pitch at the time became 55.1, uh, also based out of Minneapolis uh, and St. Paul. Reached out, heard us on the podcast, asked if I did any writing. Uh, my degree is in writing, so that was pretty much a no-brainer. Um, started doing some free pro bono coverage of lower division soccer and of Minnesota United, uh, particularly on the NASL at the time, not the USL as much, but still followed it, especially as the US Open Cup was going on. And then, yeah, I mean, from there, it just really took off and MLS reached out once uh, the loons moved up to Major League Soccer, their website uh, had me as their Minnesota writer for the majority of one season. Um, and then from there, yeah, I mean, it was just more freelancing, pitching, The Guardian, uh, Sky Sports, 442, uh, I think I said ESPN, uh, MLS Soccer, just really kind of building up. And then The Athletic came out. Uh, we, we got in touch, started covering in 2018, built up my coverage from there. And now it's, yeah, I mean, nationwide, still some Minnesota United when there's soccer being played, but right now there isn't. So it's, I mean, you know, Major League Soccer in the USL uh, across the country. Awesome. And where do you work now? I work at home at the athletic staff writer. The athletic that that's what I was <laughs> shooting for. Um, awesome. So I I'm really interested on uh, just like how you got started at at the athletic. Just, just the few stories I've heard um, have been really interesting of how guys have gotten started. So like who reached out to you and what was that conversation like? I mean, it was you get used to a lot of sort of initial meetings when you're freelancing. Um, I haven't thought about this for a while, so that's a good question. Uh, you get used to a lot of just sort of, Hey, we've read your stuff. We've seen your byline. We saw your pitch that you emailed us. Let's, let's just green light this pitch. And it's pretty much a piece by piece, uh, partnership. So you'll be working with like, uh, I don't know, the guardian and it, it, it's a lot of one-off, uh, conversation. So you have an email thread that literally just says subject line, whatever one pitch you want to work on. And then you see that to its fruition, uh, you get invoice. Um, or you send an invoice, they pay you, and then you're done. Um, but with The Athletic, the, the intention from the start was uh, the Minnesota-based editor, Zach Pierce. Uh, before there was even a soccer vertical, before Paul Tenorio and George Creasy and Brooks Peck uh, and Alex Abnos got hired there, um, it, it was just a conversation about me writing once a month about Minnesota United. And then I wrote a season preview in two parts. It did really well. Uh, a lot of people were receptive to it, and we started building up and up and up my content workload as a freelancer. Uh, from one piece a month to one piece a week to two to three. And then once we got to that like four or five range 
um, I was able to quit my day job. And uh, so that was June 2018. Uh, and then I was working as a full-time freelancer, uh, which is a whole different discussion, um, from that June until the end of March in 2019. And then on April 1st, I started as a staff writer um, working under that soccer content umbrella. You covered the Minnesota United as they were coming up into MLS. Um, and I don't know how closely you followed Sacramento's journey uh, to the same top division of U.S. soccer, but um, how has Sacramento's joining MLS been similar to Minnesota United's? There was a lot of like frustration amongst the Sacramento base um, regarding how long it was going to take uh, to finally get the expansion bid, whereas I think Minnesota may have been a bit quicker. Compare those two uh, scenarios. Well, I mean, so Minnesota's, there were a couple of different attempts. There was one attempt that uh, was was very much a pie in the sky sort of operation in like the late 90s, early 2000s, where Minnesota was looked at as a market. And then uh, ultimately the league needed to stop expanding uh, until they brought in RSL and Toronto FC in 2006 and 2007. Um, but I mean, professional soccer has been in Minnesota since the 70s. Um, they were playing in the, the USL uh, for a bit in the end of the 2000s with the Thunder. And then when the NASL launched in 2011, uh, they brought basically the Thunder folded and a new team with a lot of the same operational staff started called the Stars um, in the NASL. So, uh, I mean, I, I understand Sacramento had a more, I, I guess, a more long term public courtship. Um, or desire to be an MLS, but Minnesota had had professional soccer far longer, to my knowledge, than Sacramento had. So there was more history on that front. I think a lot of people did assume Sacramento would get a team before Minnesota. Um, and really, it did seem like that would be the case in 2014 or so. Uh, by 2015, though, Minnesota had had a new owner, their current managing partner, uh, Dr. Bill McGuire from uh, United Health Partners, uh, took over the team in 2013, rebranded them as Minnesota United, uh, and really put much more stability into place for that organization to truly take off. And I think that that coupled with the market location, just purely geographically, and in terms of TV size, to be fair, but between Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Sacramento, I think that that helped because the Midwest was such a vacant spot on the map of Major League Soccer. Mm. Um but I think that if you're looking at, uh, I mean, there's a lot of similarities. Minnesota is probably the closest corollary to what Sacramento has done, um, just in terms of uh, gradual, some uh, a gradual process of working toward getting MLS expansion, uh, some ownership issues that they had to be sorted out, um, some some questions about the league they were in. I know Sacramento almost went into the NASL as well, which is something I wrote about last year uh, when I talked to a few people, including Joe Wagner at the club, uh, Kevin Nagel as well. So I think that there was some, uh, I mean, fits and starts, certainly. I think you're absolutely right to say that there was some frustration with how long it took. Um, but I do think that the sequence of teams that went in for the most part really did make sense. Um, Sacramento could have arguably gotten in over someone like, you know, Orlando, Minnesota, uh, timing wise, but it, at the end of the day, the map makes a lot of sense. Um, I do think Sacramento is going to be a very good MLS market, but, um, yeah, in terms of that frustration, it, it, it's very tough to sort of sort through why all of that happened. So kind of going off of that, uh, you mentioned Joe Wagner, you mentioned a couple other names at the club. Like I, as a guy who 
follows, who's a fan of the team, um, you know, follows it pretty closely. I, barely, I only found out who Joe Wagner was like six months ago at the MLS announcement. Like, how, how do you make so many connections uh, when you're writing about all the teams in the lower divisions of U.S. soccer? Yeah, I, I think it, it really is looking at the subjects a little, or I guess being willing to look at them more in depth. A lot of times you can get by and you could, I could have written a piece, right, about, um, I mean, I'm just trying to think of a recent example here of a club maybe I would have worked on. Or like last year, I did a profile on Troy Lassen, um, the, the head coach and technical director down in New Mexico for New Mexico United. And it isn't just a matter of, you know, you conduct that interview with Troy, you talk to him. Um, get a sense of who he is, his philosophy. Uh, I mean, it was his first professional head coaching gig uh, and he was able to get the team to the quarterfinal of the U.S. Open Cup. So, you know, there's already a compelling in story there, but then you really look and it's like, okay, who was his college coach? Um, who brought him in? Who's the owner in New Mexico? And, and then talk to Peter Trevisani to get a sort of sense of what he was looking for in his first coaching search, um, considering he handled it without a sporting director. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just cast a wide net, ask people in the market if you have connections um, or, you know, people who used to either play there, work there, um, live there uh, and get a sense of who's important at the club and who actually has done a lot of the legwork. Um, I think that if you look at Joe Wagner and Warren Smith, those are two central figures who were known pretty early on for people who follow lower division soccer because they were such crucial forces in getting that. I mean, they both each contributed one rib, essentially, to make Sacramento Republic start. So those are the kind of people that are going to have a lot of a lot of history, a, a lot of stories. Um, and just be able to give a much broader picture of the project. Um, and so when I worked on that piece last year about Sacramento uh, and their push for MLS expansion, when it looked like they would once again be overlooked, um, I think this was right after Nashville. No, this was right after Cincinnati had launched and, and there wasn't quite certainty how the final waves for teams 29 and 30 would go in terms of which markets would get it. Um, that sort of thing really helps. But I mean, I think a lot of it is just, you know, being willing to take the time, being willing to have phone calls that aren't going to yield an interview, that aren't going to get you that quote, but just have those conversations to build those relationships. I, I guess, I mean, networking is something that's always come pretty natural to me as well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that's kind of a scattershot answer and I apologize for that. But I, yeah, yeah. I think it really is just putting in the work, putting in the time and having a genuine interest in the people much more than the topic itself. So then to, to piggyback off of that, you said that you think Sacramento is going to be a very good major league soccer market. And you clearly have you know articulated that you've done the research, you've talked to uh, people that are involved with the team. Uh, maybe you can get a feel for Sacramento, but why do you think Sacramento Republic or just the city of Sacramento will be a good major league soccer city? I, I think that it has a lot of the, um, the ideal... I mean, like, look, you can talk about things like market, right? You can always say things like, you know, a young, thriving hipster population, soccer in California goes well, uh, being close, adjacent to the Pacific Northwest certainly helps. Um, you can talk about the, the history as well. But I think that if you're looking at, um, if you really have to pin it down to one thing, I think it's because Ron Burkle is the type of owner that every MLS team wants to have. He's someone who has come in with, tremendous success as a sports owner with the Pittsburgh Penguins in particular. He uh, obviously tried to buy the Kings once when I think it was with the Maloof brothers, but um, you know, he, he is somebody who has ties to the market, has considerable capital, has 
a track record, a proven track record of having interest in a professional sports team that he owns and operates. Um, and an NHL team from the major four sports leagues would be the closest corollary to operating a major league soccer team. So I think that there is some additional assurance that can be taken from that. Um, but I think if you combine all of those things with what I already believe is one of the strongest brands in all of American soccer, men's and women's, uh, first division, second, third, you name it, um, Republic is a very strong singular identifier. And so I, I think that that will help with this market starting right away. Obviously, the question comes into, you know, what kind of team do you put on the field? How much are you willing to spend on transfer fees or on your three designated players, which separates every single MLS team? But I mean, realistically, those are probably conversations for a later uh, a later time when more of that stuff is being ironed out. But I, I think that there's every reason on paper that Sacramento could make a ton of sense. Jeff, if we could also, you know, just pivot here a little bit as well, kind of talk about this season, because... Um, you know, I respect your your opinion, you know, and I think you're very knowledgeable and you're very close to this. So um, in an article that you published on March 16th on The Athletic, you said that the best case scenario was for soccer to return mid-May. Do you think that's still best case scenario or have you moved past that? Have we moved past that? You know, what do you think kind of the best case scenario now is? I mean, you can hypothetically say that any best case scenario would be like that they play tomorrow, right? Like that would, it, it's so hard because I, you know, it is a term where that is their optimistic view. I think realistically, yeah. in my personal opinion, there's no way that there's professional soccer played in the United States until July. Okay. Um, I think that you could even project further out than July. And once the leagues announce that they're mid-May, uh, resume or their mid-may target to resume play was incorrect and they extended further that's when they're going to have to start having questions or conversations which i'm sure they have already behind closed doors about whether or not there will be a 2020 season at all i think it's a little early still to say that you know no there will not be wow. obviously there's there's still a lot of hurdles and frankly professional soccer has much more skin uh, in the game that they need to protect by having some form of revenue in 2020 that other leagues can maybe overlook because of their television deals, especially yeah. if you look at NFL, Major League Baseball, and NBA, um, where I think that pro soccer leagues are going to push harder than the rest to try to get something on the field this season. The reality of it is if you are married to the idea of a season that starts in March and it ends in the fall or early winter in December, uh, it's going to be very difficult to fit anything resembling a normal season already. And that's not even considering pushing it into the summer to resume. So I think that there's going to be a lot of creativity. There's going to be a lot of uh, people working overtime to try to make that a reality. Um, but I mean, at this point, I, I think over the last two weeks, so that was, wow, that was three and a half weeks ago. Wow. Uh, it, it's really put kind of a, a calendar right now to where we are. Um, but over the last yeah. week and a half, I would say it, I've started to entertain that reality that there won't be professional soccer in the United States at all until 2021. Mm. And I don't think that that's completely far fetched to at least start, um, at least start processing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. So then piggybacking off of that again, in that same article, you gave a few different examples of how U.S. soccer uh, seasons could be played. Uh, you suggested more midweek games uh, or maybe Major League Soccer shifting to just a complete conference alignment for the rest of the season, playing home and away. Is there any other option 
maybe playing fewer games for the season or doing some type of uh, like a group stage than a knockout style tournament. Um, what do you think is the most likely option for having soccer this season at all? Oh, cutting games is almost a certainty at this point. I know that leagues, I mean, Major League Soccer has continued to reassert their aim to play a 34 game regular season before a playoffs. And I just don't see a way that you can pull that off in a way that isn't going to seriously endanger the health of your players and also risk the medical well-being of your fans and staff who have to enter those stadiums as soon as possible. Uh, I, I think that you really do need to look at, I mean, you have to prioritize that, right? It's one season. It's a, it's a crucial season. It was the 10th season for the USL. It was the 25th for Major League Soccer. So there's some milestone that's lost. But I, if you're going to be trying to force an on-field product for your bottom line and prioritizing that over the safety and well-being of not just your workforce, but your fans, I think that you have some serious ethical questions that you need to answer um, to be able to get your product back on the field. And I think that anyone who's trying to push otherwise, you know, I'm seeing MLS owners who are saying that once there's a resuming and training, it'll be weeks, not months before a season is back. Those people better have some really good medical understanding of why they're saying that and not just trying to boost their bottom line, which right now is something that's becoming much more prevalent in not just sports, but all sides of business in the United States and across the world. Um, shortening the season is almost going to be mandatory. Teams are going to lose home games. I think at this point, though, you can just assume that's going to be a fact uh, unless there's a magical uh, resolution in the virus, which none of us foresee. Should we at all, as just soccer fans across the country, be concerned about any uh, USL team or maybe NISA team that is not faring well over this break? There are some. I mean, there's some reporting uh, that I've been working on. And I, I mean, there are some reporters who have diagnosed difficult situations in clubs well before it was actually true and it caused much bigger issues for that club um not naming names or clubs in that situation but I, i'm gonna shy away from stoking those flames too much by name but i will say that some of them are already pretty visible in terms of clubs that have had to cut staff um i think some are Nisa will have a hard time. League One might also have a hard time purely by the idea that it's only their first or second year of operation. So these clubs don't have years worth of reserves or financial model proof where they're able to say, look, it's going to be a really tough year this year, but we have every reason to believe that 2021 is going to be much healthier so we can move on through it. Um, I, I think that those leagues in particular, it's worrisome uh, for a couple of reasons, especially in Nisa's case. But uh, I, I think that there's still too much that needs to actually happen um, or it's a little too soon. But once that May 15th play date is pushed back, which seems like an inevitability, that's when those whispers are going to probably start picking up to more of a murmur. So then should some fans be concerned that they won't have a team to support next season? Or is that maybe too early, as you've said? I think it's too early. And I think that you, there's also... There's just so many bigger issues right now, you know. I, and I know that I'm somebody who makes my uh, who makes my livelihood off of professional soccer. I know that the, it brings a ton of it does bring you know a lot of joy into people's lives. It's a distraction all of us wish that we had with what's going on. But I, I think right now that is something that is only controlled by 
the owners of the club who are by definition rich people, uh, that is going to be a decision that's made by them. Um, and, and you're seeing some decisions, obviously, in terms of part-time staff being laid off or employees being furloughed, all of those things that are raising eyebrows already. Um, it will weed out some clubs where owners didn't necessarily love the team, but love the status of it and love the idea of someday being able to make money after that 2026 World Cup, which every professional soccer owner keeps flaunting as a possible like watershed target moment. Um, we'll see if that ends up being the case. But I would just say in general, there are more important things to worry about right now. Um, and it's just too early to say to truly know which clubs, if any, are going to be in uh, outstanding trouble that they wouldn't have been already in because of this virus and this suspension. Yeah, I agree. Well, Zach, Nolan, do you guys have any other questions for Jeff before we let him go? No, yeah. That, thanks for coming on the show, Jeff, and, and sharing your expertise. It's been uh, a real pleasure to talk with you this afternoon. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Not a problem. Keep up the good work. Yep. All right, Jeff, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.